Hello and welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan and I'm your spirit guide. Tonight in the Whiskey Society at Seven Grand, we had Sonoma County in the house. Sonoma County Distillers, who was our guest? It was Adam Spiegel, of course. We tried the rye, the bourbon, the cherry wood smoked rye. What? The cherry wood smoked bourbon? Incredible stuff. Be sure to enjoy this podcast responsibly, which means tell all of your friends, do it in a group environment, turn it into a drinking game, but definitely don't drive drunk. Yes, the Monday slow clap. You guys can sit down, there's still seats left. This is, the Whiskey site is all about getting cozy with new people. I don't know that might initially feel uncomfortable, but how did you get whiskey already? How'd that happen? Uh-huh, okay. Eyes on you, my love. Eyes on you. Now we know. Welcome to the Whiskey Society, everyone. Uh, I missed you all. I've been gone for two weeks. We just opened a new Seven Grand in Denver this weekend. And let me tell you, drinking at that high of an altitude is a totally different ball game. all right? I mean, I haven't had a drink in two days and I'm still hungover, all right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. At any rate, if you're in Denver, please go check it out. It's right in the Dairy Block uh, neighborhood down there, and it's, it's an amazing new bar. Um, and we'll be having Whiskey Cider out there soon, so we'll have to get you out. But you guys don't even have Colorado distribution We're yet. working on it. It's on our to-do list. It's a, it's a growing to-do list at this moment, but yeah, yeah. Well, I'm step closer. We're, we're shooting vid tonight. Are, you're not wearing socks. How can you get by with that? Well, you know, I, I, so when I started my own business, I decided I want to be able to dress the way I want to. Right. So the guy downstairs said to take off my hat, so I kept it on. <laughs> so I was like, I feel like a rebel, but at this you point, are socks are kind of, I don't know. Sorry. But, but deck it. shoes are good for the distillery, right? They are. often the floor is wet. Well, and I'm also, most of the time I'm wearing steel toes, so this is much better to actually get out and actually not have to be dealing with 15 pounds of my feet. <laughs> Well, you guys, we are going to be delving into the world of craft distillation tonight. And we have Sonoma County in the house. So please give it up for Mr. Adam Spiegel. Hi. And Adam's a legit master distiller. And, and when we say that, we're actually referring to this very tiny still right here. No. Now, we're all, we're a, all a master of tiny stills. Right. No, I mean, but this is... This is for demonstration purposes. This Ideally, is yes. This is my this is my my uh, my test subject. We get a chance to walk around. Uh, TSA makes me take it out of the bag most of the time. They either they either think it's a bomb or a bong, so I have to explain. <laughs> I have to explain distillation in like five minutes. <laughs> it's like here's the basic premise. Go, but otherwise it works. Yeah. Right on. So, Adam actually. You, this was one of your first kind of public events. Like we had you in maybe four or five years ago. Yeah. Now. So when I when I first started, sort of the the old time, we used to be called Fifteen Twelve Spirits. So I started my business up in two thousand ten, and I was self distributed for the first couple of years, which is sort of an interesting premise. <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> and I used to just come down and sort of just like while I was not distilling, I'd be selling booze out of the back of my car. And so I met. Pedro, of course, and the group down here. Because so I like, always pull over when I see one of those cars. <laughs> You're like, I like that car. It's very back heavy. Um, but no, I, I mean, literally, I mean, I wanted to kind of get the LA market going. So I came down and the very first people I came to was here. And so I did a presentation five years ago under that name. And it was fun to kind of see where we've been and where we're going. So I don't know if any of you were there at that time, but it's been really fun to kind of grow our business from what was about 784 square feet we're at 6,000 square feet today. We'll be at 21,000 square feet by the end of the year. And we're, yeah, that is massive expansion. Woo! What was 1512? 
1512 was the address of my old business partner's barbershop. So he had a, so I met him at his barbershop. Yeah, I swear to God, I met him at his barbershop. He still cuts hair. So like when we, we split in 2013, he went back to cutting hair. Uh, it's on Polk and Pine Street in San Francisco. And I uh, proceeded to uh, continue the, the craft of whiskey. So that's been fun. Yeah. So where is your new distillery? Where you guys expand? Are you in the same location or you moved? So if you could picture it, which it's really funny, we have really hopped down the block. So I, I started 784 square feet, we're at 6,000 today. We moved about 150 feet. Then moved another 150 feet to the building next door. So the cool part is the 21,000 square foot space is a 9,000 square foot barrel room, 12,000 square foot distillery, and we've got 25 foot ceilings. So that means my fermentation space can get bigger. I have a new still that came from Scotland. That's so we can kind exciting. of, in, we can increase our, our productions, which is really cool. And so you're right there in San Francisco in the city? No, we're, we're in a little town called Rona Park. Okay. So right, we're wedged between Petaluma and Santa Rosa. Um, mm -hmm. So if you're driving from San Francisco, just go over the Golden Gate Bridge, keep headed north. And uh, we're best known for a casino. Uh, uh, or it's a, it's a massive, uh, massive, massive uh, casino. There's also an In and Out Burger and a distillery, so it works out perfectly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. So you can gamble and you can eat and drink your whiskey, and life is good. Depends on how well it goes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you guys um, at this new location. You haven't put those new Scottish stills in yet, have you? No, uh, literally everything's in boxes. So we have uh, process engineering going on the next uh, two months, and then hopefully by January we're running test runs on the new, all the new equipment. Right. So awesome. I'm, I'm really excited. I mean, as a, as a person who is literally started with a 15-gallon still, which eventually begat a 125-gallon still, and now four 250-gallon stills, and then four 250-gallon stills, and now a 3,000-gallon still, I've grown up a little bit. A lot. Yeah. So when you were last in here four or five years ago, you were working with those four 250-gallon stills. Correct. If I remember correctly. Yep. And so, but that, how many days, if you're using those small stills, how many days does it take you to make a barrel of whiskey? Uh, well, a barrel of whiskey comes out quick. So I mean, we, we make 80 gallons of still per day. So you're doing four stills, about 240 gallons a day at, well, actually closer to 320 a day at full tilt. So four or five barrels of whiskey a four day? Four barrel, barrels of whiskey a day. We're running those things six days a week. Um, they're all in a direct fire too, so we've always used our direct fire stills. We actually have a, a 400,000 B2 burner underneath those stills, and that's what heats it up. So it's gas. So gas fire. So you're not getting any flavor from Well, you, that. you get caramelization. So actually, the really fun part about the fire, which is I think really unique, is that you actually get a little bit of burn on the corner of the still, which actually gives you nuance and flavor and caramelization. So it's really hard to replicate that with steam, but it's something we've always loved and always done. Interesting. Do you guys have a rummager inside of the still? We have a like whip. <laughs> it's a whip system because otherwise the rye would literally sit on the bottom and burn. Right. So I have a whip system inside that literally spins the grains and around. Uh, we separate the grains for the most part uh, post-fermentation, but there's still solids in there. You can't get them out, so they're hopefully not going to burn. So if to explain a little bit what he's talking about is in that fermentation, sometimes people churn their fermentation a lot just to kind of like in increase the activity of the yeast or mm -hmm. just kind of help with the initial like part of it. Would that be part of the anaerobic or the aerobic part so, of the fermentation? So our, our goal is post-fermentation, we want to get all the solids out of there. So once we've already done fully fermenting, we're down to basically zero sugars left. We will separate the grains and liquids at that time, but there is still yeast that's inside. So that's why inside the still itself, you want to keep that thing moving or else particles settle, they burn, and I have a, a honeycomb bottom that I have to clean for six hours. Wow. Yeah. Not an easy job. No, especially because distillation takes 14 hours anyway. So 14 hours from start to finish, you're basically two to three hours of heat up time, 11 hours to run it, and about an hour or two to clean it. 
So your initial two offerings were the bourbon and the rye, if I remember correctly, right? That is correct. So we've been making rye since day one. Um, we actually just rolled out brand new packaging. So if you haven't seen these labels before, it's because they haven't been available before. Um, but these are our brand new packaged labels. We decided to go through a bit of a facelift after about eight years. We figure after eight years, you need a new face. I don't know. Uh, so it's a little easier to read. And I, I, we, we spent a lot of time kind of trying to keep it authentic to the fact that we make everything in-house. We're not some big box whiskey. And we take a lot of pride in what we do. So Sonoma Rye is the very first thing you're going to try, actually. Thank you. Um, I always start with rye for a couple reasons, just to sort of jump in on it. Uh, the rye is a, a really spicy grain. So depending on what you've been eating or drinking all day long, the goal is sort of knock out what's on your palate. So the uniqueness of my rye is it's 100%. So we don't use corn, we don't have barley in there. Um, it's 80% unmalted and 20% rye malt. Oh, that's cool. So that's a much more expensive process than, than say using corn. Absolutely, corn gives you sugar, you can, get, you, bust, you can bust out a lot of alcohol that way. The, the reality from my perspective is I wanna make rye whiskey that tastes like rye bread. I want something that actually tastes like the thing it's, that's in it. It's kind of a novel. Uh, prospect. So uh, new char American oak, we're using 30 gallon barrels and 53s. We did have some 15s that are starting to become um, dinosaured out. And then we do have these, the, the, the rye, 80% uh, comes from California. So it's a raw rye straight out of the field cleaned up. The rye malt that comes out of the UK. So as you go to try this, this rye, if you taste like hazelnut and chocolate and sort of the back, that's all the rye malts, that's all that rye malt talking. That's all the sugars and the back end that gives, gives us gives us structure, which is probably the most exciting part about the whiskey. Well, interesting though, because using malted rye in a mash bill is really unusual, but when dealing with rye, I mean, you need something with live enzymes to kind of help with the fermentation and help with the complexity of your mm -hmm. distiller's beer. Right. Now, are you adding any like extra yeast with the, I mean, we, those enzymes, yeah, we, we, our pitch, our pitch that rye is very unusual. So how do you do it? Uh, so there's a couple ways. Uh, so we're using a direct fire mash tun as well. Uh, we never boil our mash or never boil our wort. Our goal is, is not to sterilize our, our beer, our distiller's beer, which is always he comes as beer. And most people may, may not know that. But uh, we do add our pitch yeast in there um, at a pretty nice size tilt to make sure that within five to six days, we fully fermented all the sugars into alcohol. So we go with, with what's more of a bone dry fermentation. So if you don't taste any sort of residual sweetness in this whiskey, it's because we've literally fermented it out. Our goal is to actually have our whiskey kind of finished dry versus finishing sweet. And because we never boil our mash, we don't denature sugar. So our sugar is fully fermented, and so we're able to kind of present you with more of a bone-dry, semi-dry whiskey, even on the bourbons. So are you saying then that your distiller's beer is, is a little bit higher um, ABV coming out of fermentation? Actually, it probably would even be higher had I used barley or corn, um, but I was going, I was trying to make you, like, like uh, did anybody cook? Anybody a chef here? Right? Like right. So, like, you want to use good ingredients when you make things. I'm not going to go to the bargain bin and grab, you know, the cheap stuff, right? So I ideally found rye malt that is meant to really give you chocolate and sugar, but it's, that's, a flavor, that's a flavor thing. That's not, a, that's not an alcohol producing thing. If I want to be super effective, I would use either synthetic enzymes or I'd use corn or I'd use barley because barley converts everything. It's easy, it's cheap, and it's, it works out well. But I wanted to give you something that actually balances the flavor a bit more. So if you all want to try this at the same time, this is the rye malt, uh, this is the, uh, the, the uh, rye whiskey. 80% um, unmalted, 20% rye malt because we didn't use barley, it didn't gotta go into single malt country, and we didn't use corn, so it didn't go into bourbon. So it's really sort of a singular flavor profile, which is very succinct and, and there. The other thing is we leave EABV high. So most people may not recognize this is 93 proof. 
Uh -huh. So 46.5% alcohol. That tingling you're getting, that's that higher proof going across the sides of your tongue. Um, I always leave my ABVs high because I figure if you want to add ice, you can add ice. If you want to add water, you, can, you can't take it out once it's in there. So it's kind of like hot sauce. Once it's in your food, it's in your food. And that higher alcohol content is going to push the flavor profile forward. It's just le less water in your whiskey. Azim, what's your question, brother? Uh, so there's no synthetic enzymes? None. This is all just from the rye malt? Yeah, the rye malt. Yep, that's why we use 20%. It gives us what we need and get all that di 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 dynastic power to get us the power that we need in there too. And four to five days of fermentation, that's a pretty good long fermentation. It certainly could go longer. I have some friends who, who certainly ferment longer than that, especially if you're making like a single malt, you might want to let those things a little longer. Uh, from our perspective, I mean, we're hot and cold. It's Sonoma County, so think of wine country. The same reason why it's good for making wine, it's good for making whiskey. It's hot and cold and hot and cold. It's fog in the morning, you know, 50 degrees in every morning about 75 to 100 during the middle of the summer and back down to about 50 in the evening. So it's perfect for both fermentations, kind of keeping everything regulated, but also is really good for barrels. You know, expansion and contraction of the oak gives me all the flavor I want. I mean, this is a two to four year old whiskey in a 30 gallon barrel and it tastes, it's done. It's just not super old yet. That's the only difference. So you were telling me early like that you see your trajectory with the company probably in another 15, 20 years, you'll be just doing the blending side of things. Right now, you're master distiller, but you're also out telling people about the whiskey. You're doing what you're doing now, educating people on a nightly basis, going out. You're not able to actually do a lot of the distillation yourself, only about one week a, a month, right? Right. So a couple things. I, I, I like to consider myself a head distiller. Uh, I don't think I've really earned the master distiller title yet. Um, I think there's a long history of that title meaning something, and I think I respect the shit out of that. Um, Part of my French. <clears throat> that's right. No, you can say that's uh, a podcast. Poop. Um, but uh, no, but the other thing is, is that, like, you know, inevitably, since I'm selling the whiskey and I'm going around and traveling to about five states and 15 countries, my goal is to sort of educate. So I all whiskey touches my lips before it goes into bottle. So I blend all the whiskeys. My goal is to literally sit in a, a taste of about 100 to 250 barrels a week. And so I'm constantly sort of evaluating, making sure things are good. Um, you know, I worked with a, a blender named, uh, a distiller named Hubert Germain Rabon. So I worked with this really famous sort of American brandy distiller. So our goal is to not sort of over oak our spirits. You may also notice that our whiskeys don't have a ton of oak tannins. They're not really sort of punching you in the face with whiskey, with, uh, with wood. Um, it's more like a, um, a balance. So I want all my whiskeys to have tannins, but also spice and taste like the underlying grain as well. So even as our whiskeys get to become six to 12 years old, they're just gonna taste older, they're just not gonna taste oakier. And that, that goes into process a little bit there too. And you, you said you're using 30 gallon barrels and 53 gallon barrels, what percentage of each? So right now, this is a blend of mostly 30s with some 15s added into it. So the 15s are two years old, give or take. I haven't even touched the 53 yet. So, but you're saying that your style is not super oaky, but how do you do that with such small barrels? Usually that makes for really oaky whiskeys because your surface area of oak to whiskey is much higher when you use those tiny barrels. Yep. So how do you avoid getting over, overly tannic uh, spirit? So we, we do a double barrel process. So my goal as the blender is to sort of evaluate when it hits the top of the hill. So one is the whiskey sort of as rounded and flavorful and as, as oaky as I wanted to get. So let's say the rye, for example, my original entry proof on this is about 116 proof, so 58% ABV. It sits in that barrel, let's say for two to three years. Once it's fully rounded, could probably go to a bottle tomorrow. I'll pull it, reproof it down to 109, so 54 and a half, and rebarrel it in that exact same barrel again, anywhere from six months to six years. 
So it's it's really like a stabilizing agent. I really am able to not not over oak it, um, but it still gets older. So that's what I, I have a shitload of whiskey at 109 proof, and I can just pull from the whiskey as I'm ready for it, and that's how it happens. That's really cool. So you guys, what are you getting as flavor notes on this? Did you tap some over your tongue? Because what I like to point out when you talk about whiskey that comes out of a smaller barrel, uh, the texture on your tongue will be different because we're used to, in our mind, whiskey is a certain thing. Texturally, you're used to drinking whiskey out of a 53-gallon barrel. And I think that we're more sensitive to texture than we give ourselves credit for. That whiskey that comes out of a 30-gallon barrel does have a different kind of mouthfeel. Mm -hmm. But what do you guys get? Off of this first one here. There's also a round mouthfeel, but the finish is crazy because it stays with you and it's got a caramel finish to it. So the long finish I, I attribute to the pot stills. I mean, so if you think of the Alembic, which is a still we use, obviously it's 250 gallons, haha, ha, small still. But the reality is we we this is a traditional brandy style still. So think of cognac and think of Calvados, you know, you're gonna get more viscosity, longer mouthfeel. Mm. And that's why we use these Olympics is because it takes longer. I can only distill it once a day. It, you know, it's a big, long process. But I think the reason why our whiskeys are very chewable is because of the actual equipment that we use. So that's another sort of differentiation from us as well. And yeah, sometimes again, like, especially as I'm doing this with cheeses as well, because of the cheese has got so much fat content in there, it's super easy to play around yeah, with Yeah, well, that. this definitely has that buttery oak thing yeah, that, yeah. that definitely reminds me of some of those brandy approaches. There's like a butteriness to a lot of cognacs and, mm -hmm. And brandies, and this has some of those same kind of notes going on here. Absolutely. And, and if you taste apricot and a lot of stone fruit on there, that's because we do open top fermentation. So like a lot of beer guys keep their lids closed because they're worried about bacterial infections and they want to sort of keep everything static. For me, I was always trained to keep the tops open, let the yeast that's permeating our walls affect our flavors. And that's where you get a lot of so, sort of really high estered whiskeys coming out of there too. I know I've had some friends who are distillers who run some labs on this. They're like, this is fucking crazy shit. It is, you just put more time into it. it just, it's, it's a different process. I mean, everybody has their own sort of approach. Because we only make whiskey, my goal is just to make this one thing really fucking good. So it's gonna take me, you know, probably the next 15, 20 years to make uh, exceptional, you know, earth shattering whiskey, but I'm working on it. So how's your, your output increased over like the, some, since the last time we were here, four or five years ago, yeah. you guys have expanded the amount of stills that you're using, but how much of your output has it increased? You know? Yeah, so uh, four or five years ago, I was making about a thousand gallons a month. Uh, at most, <laughs> on a really good day, but <laughs> I wasn't traveling. Um, now uh, we're, we, we, we made about 20,000 gallons last year. Um, so we're on track to, to double that almost in the next year. Uh, so next to 12 months from basically when the new facility opens up. Um, and then our new facility, so the, the California maximum for craft distilleries just got raised uh, to 150,000 gallons. So we have quite of a ceiling ahead of us where we can still actually continue to grow. And our new facility can actually scale up to there very quickly. Meaning that after that, you won't be able to call yourselves a craft distillery? We'll be able to anymore? call ourselves a craft distillery until St. George moves the number again. So <laughs> thank you, St. George. Woo. Uh, you're not talking about the literal saint. You're talking no, about I'm the talking distillery I'm, I'm talking about St. Lance Witters. Yeah, he, he's got money, so it helps. <laughs> that whole thing. And the literal saints. Yes, yes. As far as I know, he's not politically oriented. Um, <laughs> This is great rye whiskey, though. I really, really like this. So if I was going to get a bottle of this rye whiskey from my home bar, what's the bottle price going in uh, my local liquor store? So it depends on your liquor store. Uh, it should be on the shelf about $39.99. Wow. Um, some folks will put on the on the shelf um, just under 44 
Uh, it really depends how well they like you and what they do. I, I can't control their margins either, so that's kind of the biggest thing. My, my sort of approach to, to price point has always been I want my friends to be able to buy bottles. You know, it doesn't make sense. You have mausoleum whiskey that goes on top. It's $80 for a one-year-old whiskey. It doesn't make any sense to me. So uh, I, I really truly think that like whiskey should be enjoyed. You know, please open these bottles up. You know, I used to hand wax every single bottle and that's why I've now gone for the PVC capsules because <laughs> A, it's a hell of a lot easier and B, because I think you should actually open these damn bottles up and drink them. Especially for the holidays, you got Thanksgiving coming up and Christmas. Like this is kind of perfect whiskey for that. It is. It's dry and spicy. It's really delicious. Do you do you plan on doing any high age statement rises? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So I have 53 gallon barrels. Haven't even touched yet. The cool part is a 15 gallon barrel taught me how to do a 30, and a 30 gallon barrel taught me how to do a 53. So what the top of the hill looks like for a 53 is somewhere between four or five years before I even go into the double wood. Uh, so I have a long way to go on those. Uh, ideally, we'll have all four-year-old whiskey within the next two to three years. So at a minimum, we'll be all four years old. Um, I also want to bring back more of the Bottle and Bond series. That's really a big thing for us as well. Um, figure why the fuck not. I mean, it's, it's, you know, these age statements are around for a reason. I think certainly if you're paying your hard-earned dollars, for, you should know how old the whiskey is. So, Absolutely. Why the hell not? And so Stephanie just came around and handed you each a little tasting portion of... The bur Sonoma Bourbon. Sonoma Bourbon. Right. So we used to make three bourbons. Uh, we called our bourbons West of Kentucky one, two, and three. You might have recognized them. They used to have uh, a Golden Gate Bridge on the front, West of Kentucky, because obviously I wanted to sort of teach the, the marketplace that like you can make bourbon anywhere in the United States and have to come from Kentucky. Kind of a big little to Kentucky as well. Um, but our most popular bourbon of the three series was two, which is my weeded bourbon. So this is, I really, really enjoy the hell out of uh, Weller Antique, uh, you know, also known as Pappy, depending on what age you buy it at. Um, so I, 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 that was my cooking whiskey. <laughs> like I'm cooking at home, I have this sitting next to, next to my stove in a glass. So um, this is 70% corn, 25% wheat, and 5% malted barley. So just that 5% malted barley is enough to give me everything I need. Uh, the cool part I also should point out as well, if you ever forget what I'm talking about, we're also super transparent as well. So on the glass, all our mash bills and where our grain source is all on the, on the mash bill as well. Um, also non-GMO products for the most part as well. Um, we have some organic material in there too, um, but it's not a high enough proportion where I really need to specify it yet. What do you mean? Is that like different flavorings or just like... No, it just has to do with the fact that the grains sometimes were organic and sometimes were non-GMO'd and oh, okay. depending on the season or the right. farmers that we work with, I want to be able to do that. Uh, but this whiskey is really meant to be like a good sipping whiskey. I mean, you can put this into cocktails. It was certainly in the cocktail we all started with today, which, by the way, was fucking awesome. Um, but That's our man Eden at the front bar cranking out the gold rush. Um, but the cool part about this is, you know, a lot of people sort of think that this reminds them of whiskeys that, like, their grandma used to drink, right? Like, this is like an old sort of, like, you know, new leather and, and burnt toffee and... Like a lot of a lot of butterscotch, and that's that's grandma butterscotch, and that's really indicative of like weeded bourbons. Weeded bourbons, for the most part, are just like super uh, vanilla and butterscotch and fun. <laughs> well, this, yeah, weeded bourbons are like that tends to be like your easy sipping bourbons, like Maker's Mark, the classic most popular weeded bourbon out there. Pappy Van Winkle, all that stuff's weeded bourbon, you know, like stuff that Buffalo Trace lives by out yeah. in Kentucky. 
Um, where are you guys getting your wheat for this? And what's the percentage of wheat in your mash bill? Uh, so it's coming from California now. Um, historically, I used to buy it from California and Canada, but that was before I was able to find a, a local farmer. And then uh, it's 25% of the mash bill. So 70% wow. corn, 25% wheat, 5% malted barley. You know, bourbon by law has 51% corn. Uh, we opted for the 70 because I, th I thought it balanced the flavors a bit more. Uh, the secondary grain in bourbons really starts to pop out the flavors. So whatever your secondary grain is, and sometimes the tertiary, the third grain, is what sort of makes that whiskey what it is. Because corn does not really give you a ton of flavor. I mean, you can use heirloom varieties, and those certainly change the, the flavor profile. But um, I really believe at the end of the day, you know, this whiskey is, is made by that wheat, that, mm -hmm. that butterscotchy sort of back end. Is this a sound? Not at all. Uh, so we do have a souring that occurs in, in the fermentation because the, the tops are open. You know, by this bourbon ferments for about six days. So by that sixth day, it definitely does sour up a little bit. But we don't actively push to have, we don't, we don't put the back end back in there again. We're, we're, You're not putting back set in? So it's, 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 this it's brand is a new. sweet mash. This is a sweet it's, mash. Our goal is brand new yeast every single time we ferment because I want somewhat of consistency on there. And I also, I mean, again, we have the yeast that's permeating my walls. So you won't believe this until you probably see it, but we literally pump over the mash. And we've been cooking the same facility for almost eight years now. And so you literally turn around and it's already starting to bubble because our, our space is literally, literally living. So it's kind of a fun. That's really cool. That's pretty know, cool. That's really rare to be. Most companies are using sour mash for the purpose of that, like of consistency. Uh, have you, when you use sweet mash, how often do you guys screw up? How often is there some kind of other bacterium that get in, in there and make a funky beer? So that's the, that's the value of being able to use the same dry yeast all the time is that ideally it doesn't happen very often. I mean, we do have to clean our walls. Sometimes you have to clean with vinegar just to sort of make sure that everything is nice and sterile. Um, I've done a lot of that. It's got the roughness on the hands will tell you that. But uh, I think the reality is, I, at, the, at the end of the day, I want to make a whiskey that can be enjoyed at two to four years old, that should be enjoyed six to nine years old. And this one, I think, because I'm blending in different ages, you know, I want the whiskey to taste consistent. So stick your nose in the glass, guys. What else are you getting besides butterscotch over here? Grandma's butterscotch candies. What else? Orange rind. I get like toast, you know, like uh, some nice, like. Wheat toast and marmalade. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, butter and marmalade. Yeah, it's all those. Uh, this is at 92 proof. So surprise again, 46% ABV. Um, again, we want to leave these things high. One ice cube in this completely changes the whole thing. It opens up. We just opened these bottles up, so that's why I wanted them to breathe before this whole thing started. Because you know this thing will evolve in the glass. I know we're going through all four, but as time goes on, this thing does breathe and sort of develop its own character. So what else are you guys getting as you tap it over that tongue? And again, look for architecture, look for texture. That's what I like to notice in these smaller barrels, it changes. Because when you talk about different age, most of the time you're referring to a 53 gallon barrel, but now when we start talking about 30, 30 gallon barrels and 15 gallon barrels, that changes the whole idea of what an age statement well, is. Well, and that's also the, the, most, the most fun part of my job and also the most challenging is consistency with that much of a library. So imagine having a bunch of really, really small vessels by which to control all my product and then not having a gigantic barrel to, to hold a very one consistent flavorful thing. It's like pulling off, it's like trying to find the right recipe in this huge library. It can be a real challenge. Um, sure. So that's part of the value of having that, everything stuck at 109 proof and part of the eight years of uh, distilling so far. Mm -hmm. How am I doing so far? All right? Very, very cool. Cool, cool, cool. <coughs> How much do you use it? 30 gallon barrels. 
uh, once. I do have a single malt, which I've never released before. Um, it's still aging. It's about three to four years old right now. That's living in my used barrels right now. Um, we also used to make a, a wheat whiskey back in the day. We called Second Chance Wheat, which we now call Sonoma Wheat. That'll be out again next year. And that lives in used barrels as well. Um, so for the most part, the barrels have a second life. They just have not officially been released too much yet. I'm gonna pass around some grains, if you all can be nice and pass these around. So the next two whiskeys we're trying are seasonal releases. They come out uh, once a year, either the spring or the fall. Both of them have a cherrywood smoked barley in them. So they both have a, either a, a stronger smoke or a lighter smoke texture to it. Um, so the grains that we use, I'm actually passing around just so you can give a, a raw sense of it. We, it's a very, very kosher whiskey in itself. Uh, no. The, it, it, it smells like it smells like barbecue, like bacon, exactly. Um, thanks. So, what's your apparatus to get that smoke into that barley? Do you guys do it in house? So, we have a, a smoker I worked with down in Petaluma, and he, he and I built a four by four shed, like it's a, a nice smoke shed, and you lay them on trays, and you literally just low smoke the the the, the malted barley. So the malted barley comes fully in. You put it at ninety degrees for about six hours. So the so cold, cold smoke, the goal is not to, to burn the grains because if you do that, you, you ruin all the power of the grain, of the multi grains. Uh, but then the other part of that is I really just want to get that sort of smoky flavor into it. So this is the Cherrywood Rye. Um, this is a whiskey that was developed to actually taste like this, which is a weird sort of premise. But I opened a barrel of Sonoma Rye once and it smelled like cherry soda. And I was like, how can I make you into a whiskey? <laughs> so we already used the cherry with smoked barley for the bourbon. So uh, this is 80% rye. I, I threw in about 10% wheat, kind of give it like a vanilla, like the vanilla from vanilla cherry soda. And then cherry with smoked barley is that last 10%. Um, so as it goes around, you smell this bacony sort of expression. But if you dial it back below 10%, it becomes more like a modifier in a cocktail. More like, oh fuck, there's a maraschino in my glass. Which is really what I was going for, right. So it, 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 it's, it's also a lot of rum drinkers tend to like it too. It has this really sort of viscous, sort of rummy, you know, kind of a maro sort of a flavor going there too. So again, I think the rye category, we're the first ones I, I've seen to kind of do stuff like this. So I just think the rye category is a fairly static one. You think of Old Overholt and you think of Rittenhouse Rye. And to make something that's different was, was really fun. And I was like, why the fuck not? And that's something that I think that we've seen in the craft distilling movement overall is that how are these guys supposed to compete with the Jim Beams and the Heaven Hills out there? The only way is to make a product that's very, very different so you can earn some shelf space with something that's truly unique. And that will come from, <laughs> yeah. yeah. knock, you just don't know. Um, <laughs> it comes from like these different processes. So I've never had a cherry wood smoked whiskey before. What are you guys getting? How is this different from other whiskeys you've had? For me, it kind of smells like a yeah. What else? What are you guys getting? Girls Stick your nose in that glass. Like Azim, what are you getting? Like a peach? Stone fruit? Yeah. 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 A stinky, it makes you want a stinky cheese to pair with it? It's a fair point. Fucking Sonora. Totally get it. <laughs> Anybody else? What are you guys getting off of this cherrywood smoked rye? Yeah, so this comes out every spring. Uh, we happen to have all four of these products out now just because we had some labels, upgrades, and Young's was having some problems. So now that we're finally all out, we have all four of these out. This is on the shelf for about $49.99. So it's a slightly different price point. I think it's still within the realm of, of possibility to pick it up and drink it. 
um, but should be just shy of 50 bucks. Right on. And very limited release. You only do this a couple times a year yeah, or just the, once a year? Just once a year. So the Cherrywood Ride now comes out in the spring. Um, it's out now. It'll be out again in March. Uh, LA has 50 cases, and Mimi's in charge of that. This is Mimi in the corner. Hi. All right. She's in charge of my allocation, so she'll be telling us where we're going with those. But my guess would be most likely like High Times, Mission, you know, some of the local shops that you would, might want to find. If you like it, please ask for it by name. That's the best way to do it. We're available to Young, so anybody can pick us up. I have a question. Where do you get your ride? Is it, is it like Central Valley? Uh, so we actually get closer to like um, like uh, the Red Hook area, so up a little higher up, like, uh, sorry, Red Bluff area. Um, if you think about like um, just north of Sacramento. Okay. Yeah, so a little, little colder environments up there. Okay, so uh, you're not getting it like the Modesto ride. Not at all. Yeah, I, I know the Corbin Cash guys very well, um, and sometimes they will source the, the Merced ride that they have. Um, and sometimes they actually provide the seed for it because there's a lot of issues about rights of ownership for the seed. So sometimes they provide the Merced rye and actually grow it up in Red Bluff. But yeah, I have used that in the past as well. But again, I think the consistency comes in the technique and the stills and the, and the fermentations. Well, I just tasted some of that rye. I mean, the, the barley, the smoked barley is delicious. Yeah. 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 Chocolate and cherries. Yep. Beef jerky. That's it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and this was ideally supposed to taste a little bit like a Manhattan, right? Mm -hmm. So you can put this into a Sazerac or a Vucare or or an Old Fashioned or Manhattan. It's all there. Yeah, it's all it's all there. And I, and I don't shy away from cocktails. I figure it's like if you want to drink whiskey in a cocktail, it might as well be good whiskey. You know, have two good drinks a night rather than three shitty ones. No, this is really uh, nice. And you guys, I'm starting to see a pattern. There's, there seems to be a really oaky dryness to every one of these. Yeah expressions to me there's that yeah. you can definitely feel that kind of like brandy influence going on here for sure thanks yeah it's right one on. of my favorite whiskeys i i hate to say i love certain whiskeys everyone kind of asks me like what's your favorite it's like this one happens to just i like it a lot it gets good mm -hmm. grades in school yeah really interesting and very unique i don't know of any other cherry smoked cherry wood smoked whiskeys that are out there so a very unique expression right something to get for your home bar that's just off the beaten path, you know? And I, I totally agree that this would be just great on the rocks. I don't need to make a Manhattan out of it. It does have that Amaro character, that earthiness that would work all by itself as a great sipper. I was uh, I was doing a tasting once and um, uh, I didn't have any ingredients for a cocktail, so I just did cherrywood rye uh, ice and then there's a chocolate mole bitters from Bitterman's. I did like one drop of bitter on there. I was like, here you go. Bam. <laughs> You're a cocktail master. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's not. yeah, or shrub. I mean, you do shrubs, you can do ginger beer. I mean, again, like it's the goal is to have fun with it, right? I mean, you can be drinking for a while, might as well. Well, Stephanie's gonna come around now with the cherry wood smoked bourbon, right? So show her a glass is empty, make it easy on her. I just use the same glass you just used again, and if it's not empty, obviously, either or other ones are fine too. It's, it's a hard world sometimes, you either have to drink your whiskey or pitch it, but uh. Well, we made more. They happen to be here. Yes. And it, obviously the Seven Grand's got our stuff here too. So if Definitely. you guys like them, please feel free to drink them. So what inspired you to use cherry wood specifically? Is it just those cherry notes? You actually get those fruit notes out of the wood? So uh, two things. One is that um, I used to buy it from Brees. So Brees just made a bunch of cherry wood smoked barley and we loved, we loved it. And then two is that they actually grow cherry trees all around us and especially in Stockton, California, which is right near us as well. So the reality is that you get a little bit of terroir, you get a little bit of you know, the local flavor from what happens you know, around the tree. 
That's salt really cool. and brine and minerality. It's that's it's real. I wish I could fake it. It's fucking real. That's really, really cool. Now, the bourbon mash build for the cherrywood smoked, how much of this smoked barley are you using in this bourbon mash? Yeah, so I, on this one, I dial up the cherrywood smoke. Uh, so the first one has 10% cherrywood smoke. This one has 13%. Um, I dialed it up for a couple reasons. One is that this one is supposed to have the smoke up front, whereas the cherrywood rye is supposed to have the, the smoke on the finish. So um, for those who like sort of peatier scotches or like smokier whiskeys, I think this is a really good sort of American liaison because you get a chance to sort of chew on your smoke, but it's also a bit more balanced. Not like an Octomore where I'm feeling like you're, um, you're really sort of overdoing the smoke. Um, I want it to be balanced. Um, so this used to be called West of Kentucky number one. Um, it was the first bourbon I made, so hence the one. Um, but uh, I, I think it's a good one. I don't know. I mean, Jim Murray liked it too recently, which was a nice surprise. I didn't know that, but I got it. I got a book. I got a book in the mail. It's like you got a ninety-five. I was like, thanks. That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> Congratulations. I was, it was a fun, fun surprise. That's really, really cool. Yeah. No, so, but you're saying that this used to be called that, meaning that this is some of that whiskey that you used to be releasing, absolutely. and now you're, you've used some of that more mature stock that you didn't sell to blend into this? A little bit both. So it used to be West of Kentucky one, um, and then it's the same everything, but we changed the name. Uh, we release only this now once a year versus whenever the whiskey was ready, I used to release it. Um, and this one ideally is, is, is really meant to be special. I think of you know Thanksgiving and turkey, and you know, cranberry sauce, think of this. Like that's what I'm going for. And that's why I wanted to release every fall so we have something to look forward to and we can, I mean, whiskey is a celebration, right? I mean, that, that's kind of how I was sort of exposed to whiskey as a child, is <clears throat> bottle on the table, you know, just like a bottle of wine on the table. You just, you know, it's high, that's, how, that's how you celebrate a good time. You, good times, bad times, you know, that's kind of what, you know, spirits are all made for. That's right. That's right. To help get us you through. Your first sip? I do. That's <laughs> Me? Uh, four. <laughs> um, but that was that was mostly because the glass was damn near empty. I just kind of put my finger in there real quick, and I was just tasting it up. It was just like I wasn't supposed to, so that's why I did it. Um, so yeah. So you're thinking like this is like a holiday bourbon right here. Yeah. Some of those fruity notes and spicy notes, kind of perfect for around the holidays. So now you guys have a clue of something to take to those holiday parties. Something that's unique, supports the local craft no, distillery movement. We and, appreciate uh, that, yeah. And gives your you know fellow party or goers something to uh, try that they never had before. And if you want to do like a smoked cocktail, like a lot of times people, you know, I'm sure you've seen bartenders with like the big smoke apparatuses and the the mustaches but um if, <laughs> sorry but if uh if you don't want those things you just get yourself a smoked whiskey and put it into your glass and make yourself a manhattan or an old-fashioned or a penicillin or a penicillin yeah, that's what this would be yeah. this would be a if you like that smoky whiskey in your yeah. in your cocktail that's what this would i be also like. strongly recommend uh bringing back the highball uh you know something like this with some good bubbly water I think it's super, super easy, um, especially if I'm doing trade shows all day and I've been drinking whiskey. It's like, I don't want to go into beer. I'll just fall asleep. So it's like highballs keep me alive. That's right. Um, and it's simple. I two ingredients. It's fine. So what are you guys getting as you stick your nose in the glass? Is he? Well, sorry, real quick. If you, because this is a very strange pairing. I know we usually do cheese, we do meat, we do something savory. If you were just eating a salad, which <laughs> one of these would you pair? Yeah, I get like a really sort of hearty, sort of like weird, firm 
chicory salad would be good, or a Brussels sprout. Oh, which, uh, sorry, which oh, on top of the bourbon. bourbon. I thought you were just talking about for the, all of them. No, no, this this one in this one in particular. I mean, just think about anything where you would sort of apply, like uh, like a chutney or like a, or like a like a like a cherry like compote, like something like that. So that's where I think the heartier like chicory would do fine. Like I've done like a balsamic, easy something like that on there. I like the idea of whiskey and salad pairing. That is like we're talking about wellness in, in the bartending world. Well. <laughs> yeah, you got Bingo, there's an idea. Right. A salad dressing with whiskey. Uh, right. Why that not? Good. I'm down. It's I'm greens. Down. Listen, your doctor will thank you. That's right. Place the balsamic. Thank you. And this one to me, again, I think it's just fun and sort of different. And, you know, I had someone recently tell me to make this into a candle. I thought that was kind of a cool freaking idea, too. <laughs> Man, that, that happens. That Why happens. the fuck not? I don't know. We're we're pretty we're pretty blessed. We're we work with a, a distributor um, overseas in in the in London. We do like whiskey dinners every year, and we do a lot of like I've done one before with the cherrywood rye, more like the game year meats, like like deer or venison. Like venison does really well. Boar, like a boar ragu with that, does really well too. Just think of acidity, like a think of acidity and 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 dryness. Um, it's kind of easy. Um, this is sort of my Malbec Temperino style wine. Did I do all right? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, this is gorgeous. Thank you. Um, uh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate it. Uh, two things. Uh, Sonoma whiskeys are our handle for like Instagrams and stuff. So if you happen to like them or you actually do buy a bottle for celebratory reasons, please take a photo. We'd love to see it and love that. Um, the other part of this whole thing is like you know if you have any feedback, uh, please send it back to us. We have a, a nice form online. Um, come up north. We have our tasting room open again in February. We're shut down, obviously, for the build-out. Um, right now, I'm doing sort of hard hat tours. So if you happen to find yourself up north, we'd love to. I'll show you around myself. Um, but eventually, we'll have our full-fledged tasting room open again too. That's really cool. That's where I'll be able to do a lot of really cool expressions and finishes. I did a port barrel finish in this once that was absolutely phenomenal. So slowly, so. the California whiskey trail yeah. will, be, will be formed here. It's coming. <laughs> Why not? I mean, Sonoma County. We've got about 15, 20 distilleries up there. I mean, most people think of like the Charbets of the world. Uh, there's a uh, Spirit Works is up in that area too. So it's a bunch that's of right. there's a bunch of smaller folks, but um, Oxbow, yeah, that's, that's Napa Valley, yeah. Arthur Hartunian. Um, right on. Yeah, so it's cool. But thank right. you all very much for the taste. Yeah, Here. let's give it up for Mr. Adam Spiegel from Sonoma County Distilling. Sonoma Distilling. Wow. They're amazing. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show is produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide SOC. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget, drink to remember. <laughs> <laughs>